Welcome back to another episode of Your Music Saved Us, where two friends blast ourselves into the past to relive and recontextualize the alternative Christian music we grew up listening to in the 1990s. My name's Clifton, and I'll be your host. Joining me is the rudest of all rude boys, Jay. <laughs> Thanks, Clifton. So tell me, Jay, what are we listening to this episode? We are listening to The Adventures of the OC Supertones from Tooth & Nail Records, released what? on April 24th, we think, 1996. <laughs> Seems to be good information. All right. Is this a hard album to find to listen to? No. Okay. In fact, yeah. I will say so far out of all our releases that we've done, this has been by far the easiest to find to listen to and the easiest to find information <laughs> on them. In fact, the exact opposite of some of the, even our last album, actually, Rainy Days, was a struggle. Yeah. This one was really easy. Tell us a little bit about the OC Supertones for those people out there that grew up even more sheltered than us. <laughs> well, uh, the Supertones were a ska band, and I think, Clifton, you can tell us a little bit more about ska in a minute. But yeah, from what I understand, and I didn't know this at the time, I've only realized it since looking back, but they were originally people in a band called Save that was in Orange County that, that they played a lot with the other Tooth & Nail bands in the area at the time, like Focus, Plank Eye, mm -hmm. Unashamed. In fact, the drummer was in Unashamed. And I think, as the story goes, a lot of times they desperately wanted to be signed because all their friends were they're playing all these shows with them but they weren't very good mm -hmm. evidently or maybe they at least they didn't have a, a set style they had like a funk song like a punk song like a hardcore song and they even had yeah. some ska songs and i think finally they realized oh if we want to go anywhere we need to just nail this down to one style <laughs> they went with ska brandon with tooth and nail finally realized oh there might be something here signed them and then and he even admits this if you watch the tooth and nail documentary i don't think he had any idea how big they were going to be and really right they kind of exploded really i even think from this first album the second album especially yeah. but even here got big quickly yeah, from, you know, what I've read and seen on that Tooth & Nail documentary, it sounded like Brandon was, he thought they had a chance, but also kind of placating them, like throw a little bit of money at them and see what happens type right. thing. Yeah, I, I, I subtitled my uh, my name for this episode as How to Fell Your Way into the Latest Trend. Uh, because, and in part, we've, I've heard this story several times over the years, and then that Tooth and Nail documentary came out where you hear the Brandon Evil side of it. You found an article that gives the drummers. Yeah, Jason Carson, his side. Where he tells kind of the story of the Supertones. And, you know, the stories match up. I will say that Jason's story is a little bit more compassionate towards them <laughs> than the other stories that I've heard through the years. Supposedly, they had been playing Skull for a year by the time they, get, they got signed by Brandon, but I don't think that anyone else agrees with that you know if, if anyone has not seen the documentary do you, know, do you remember what it's called i always forget what it's, it's called. called no new kind of story go watch it it's available through a couple different online video platforms you can search for it it's pretty good it has some good uh, starting stories there through the nail and some of the bands all right, so let's talk a little bit about ska what is ska and i will tell you that 15 year old jay when this came out had no idea right yeah <laughs> neither did i right yeah. You know, because I didn't listen to secular music, and so I don't think I even had a passing clue of what ska was. And to to be fair, I kind of went back and looked at, like, for instance, when that Mighty Mighty Boss Tones impression that I get song really broke, and that wasn't until 97. Well, that yeah, that album came out in 97. Yeah, so, and I know their earlier one had been getting airplay, but I didn't feel like it really, at least to suburban Texas where I was, broke big until really kind of after the Supertones. Mm -hmm. Prior to this, I don't think I had any exposure at all. I definitely did not. But Ska was a, I'm going to call it a short musical moment that happened originally in the late 60s in Jamaica, in kind of what was the build-up to what eventually became reggae, characterized by offbeat guitar. For every beat, there's a one, two, three, four. You can also add a one and two and three and four. And on that and, that's when the guitar plays instead of on the one or the two. It's also characterized by walking bass lines, which you'll hear on this album and pretty much any ska album. There's sometimes horns and sometimes not. 
you know, like I said, it was a short musical moment that just continued on to be developed into other things, into rock steady, and then eventually into reggae. After that, some uh, young chaps in the UK heard some music from the colonies and decided to imitate it in the late 70s to early 80s, kind of right as and a little bit after punk peaked in the UK, ska peaked there as well. And you had a bunch of bands kind of incorporating mod, which is a precursor to punk over in the UK and punk into ska. Sometimes with horns, sometimes mostly with nut without horns in that scene. But that, that was called the two-tone phase uh, after a record label called Two-Tone Records. And it quickly faded out. And then ska started to get popular around the you know early 80s in the United States in some underground scenes. By the mid-80s, you had some bands uh, with record deals such as um, Operation Ivy, who was probably the biggest early on ska band here in the United States that then those guys went on to become rancid. And then, you know, in the mid-90s, you, uh, you had No Doubt get a record deal on a major label. You had Mind and Body Boston's get a record deal on a major label. And then we have uh, another short musical moment here in the United States. One thing I didn't realize till I was doing some research for this episode is that Orange County really kind of had an explosion of ska bands right around this time. I mean, there was no doubt. There's Real Big Fish. There's Save Ferris. There was a bunch of others like um, the Aquabats, Jeffrey's Fan Club, like a mm-hmm. lot of these. And so I didn't really have a sense, again, because I was in my little Christian bubble of the supertones. I don't really think they were honestly a part of that scene. And in some of the articles I read didn't really indicate that, but at least they were kind of a product of what was going on around them at the time. They were probably going to those shows or at least hearing that the, the local music. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they were exposed to all that for sure. You know, in Christian music, um, once the Supertones came out, they were quickly followed by the Insiders and Five Iron Frenzy and, and, and a little bit later, Squad 5-0. Although Squad 5-0 had been around a little bit longer. It took them longer to get a record deal because they're they're more that two-tone where it's pure kind of punk and ska and really based on like the sound of Operation Ivy. So they weren't as popular. So Jay, what was your first experience with the OC Supertones Wiley Adventures? So I really did some digging on this and I think the first exposure I had to them was the Tooth and Nail Catalog from the fall of 1995, meaning they were already signed then. They must have got signed in the summer of 95. And there is, they're not called the OC Supertones yet. They're just called the Supertones. The logo completely on the page in the catalog rips off Superman. (laughs) Like, there's a reason they didn't use this logo. They would have been sued. (laughs) And I'm assuming it's branded, and I'll just read it to you because I had no idea what any of this was. (laughs) He just says, when I was a freshman in high school, everybody used to make fun of me for wearing cardigan sweaters and army parkas with target patches on the back. I used to listen to the specials, selector, the English beat, and anything mod or ska. If you remember the movie Quadrophenia and Vespa scooters with enough mirrors to choke a gorilla, then you'll probably be a big fan of the Supertones. They've got that crazy style that makes me want to break out all my old madness record. I had no idea what any of this <laughs> really meant. Madness. Madness is a two-tone band. That's interesting. I never heard of that movie. And I saw the movie, like, much later, because, again, I'm a kid in suburban Texas. <laughs> um, but it's got a photo of them. It's interesting. In, in the picture, by the way, there's somebody playing trombone, which they didn't have on the album. So this must have been kind of an early version. They are kind of wearing the ties and the white shirts and stuff. I had no idea what to think about this, but it was Tooth and Nail, and this is the time when I was just going to buy everything Tooth and Nail. Mm-hmm. So my first real exposure to them was actually on the Tooth and Nail art core volume two compilation which i looked and looked and looked i don't know when it came out but it came out sometime prior to the supertones album i think early 96 and the song found an early version of that was on the artcore compilation and i remember really liking it also just thinking like what is this with the horns and everything else but that kind of primed me for picking up the album and i think i must have gotten this album like right when it came out Mm. or right after that my first year to ever go to Cornerstone was that summer, 1996. Right. And I saw them there and I already knew all the songs and all the lyrics mm-hmm. and stuff. So I must have had the album before that. That's early then. Jay bought everything Tooth and Nail pretty much. <laughs> This is slightly before I was buying everything Tooth and Nail put out. In fact, the first time I heard the Supertones was on the uh, compilation uh, Seltzer, uh, released in August 1996. This, this is summer between freshman and sophomore year for me. And before I really, you know, had any freedom to uh, truly embark on the adventure of discovering my own music, I couldn't drive, obviously, uh, nor could any of my friends. But I probably got Seltzer right when it came out because, you know, it was placed at the front of the Christian bookstore music section and said, hey, hey, buy this. I definitely, by this point, had already talked my mom into taking me on regular trips to the Christian bookstore. <laughs> 
And, you know, compilations were great at this time. We'll, we'll talk about compilations later, but, you know, they're great for finding new music, obviously, for someone who's looking for new music. And I was already moving away, you know, from Newsboys and Big Tent Revival. Uh, you know, I listened to Plank Eye, Johnny Q Public. And I, I yeah, I, I definitely already found MX Speaks by this point. That's probably what encouraged me to buy the Seltzer. So those bands were on it. I literally remember opening the CD in my mom's car and taking over the stereo, putting the, the CD in, which she probably loved, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> And the song that immediately hit me when I heard it and uh, repeated over and over again, probably drive my mom crazy, was Who Can Be Against Me by the Supertones. Like I said, just like you, I didn't know, had, have any understanding of what ska was, but I liked this kind of uh, crazy, silly song that, that, that they had here. And, it, you know, it encouraged me to go out and buy the album, I think, almost immediately. And, you know, I think that's probably most people's first impression of ska, or at least like kind of the third wave, mid-90s ska, mm-hmm. no matter the band. I think most people, when they first first tier they're like oh this is catchy this is fun yeah usually pretty positive happy music that easy to like yeah there's very few bands who break out of that you know in fact there are a lot there's a whole but there's a whole side of that third way scoff which is purely silly right yeah all like the aquabats i mean yeah <laughs> another another orange county band by the way but yeah, there's a whole side of it that, that, that's really silly, you know, and it's mostly, you know, a lot of punk influence obviously through a lot of these bands which which helped get me on board I think all right. Once you found this and it became a part of your life, I assume, you know, how, how did you feel about this album at the time? I must have really liked it because when I put it back on, I can pretty much sing every song. Like I know all the <laughs> lyrics. So I must have listened to it a ton. I think it was a very like safe mm-hmm. album. Like it felt edgy because it was a new musical style and it d- mm-hmm. did have some of those punk elements. But also the lyrics are so evangelical. Yes. I mean, there's no mystery in this whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think that must have made it also feel very safe. Where some of the other albums coming out at the time had a darker edge, mystery to the lyrics. This was very clear. Mm-hmm. And probably I felt like, okay, my parents, my youth group, everyone, they'll accept this. This is good. Yeah. I say in my notes over and over again, youth group approved. You know? Yep. <laughs> because it is definitely a very safe album uh, as far as slightly edgier stuff goes musically. Um, do you have any fond memories of this album? Yes, um, or I'll say of the Supertones in general. So yeah. it's funny you mention the Seltzer compilation. So again, my first experience seeing them live was Cornerstone 96, which I think was a lot of people's first chance seeing them live because I don't think that was their first tour. I mean, their album had just came out across the country. And at Cornerstone, when you don't play like one of the, like the main stage, a lot of times at that time they had them these, when you say tent, it sounds small, but like big tents during the day. And I remember they played an afternoon set so not one of the best ones i just remember they absolutely killed it live like yeah so good i and those seltzer i don't think that compilation was out yet but they had promo stuff for it and they had all these frisbees hmm. that had seltzer in the bands and they were throwing those out to the crowd while they were playing and it was just so much fun I just remember that concert just being a ton of fun and having a good time and i I couldn't find where I heard this, but I heard on a podcast or something somewhere that at Cornerstone, they sold out of like all their merch. Oh, wow. They were shocked and surprised. Yeah. And, and maybe Brandon said it or somebody else, but said kind of that was one of those moments where they knew, oh, these guys are going to be really big. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I try, I would, if somebody has footage of the Supertones at Cornerstone 96, <laughs> I would love to see it. I have searched and searched and searched. And I know somebody out there has to have something. There's a couple of photos that the Supertones posted on their Facebook page from it. Um, by the way, they weren't even wearing suits, probably because it was hot. <laughs> But they weren't wearing their normal attire. But I did find a video from August of 96 when they're playing in Evansville, Indiana, that somebody posted on YouTube. It's terrible quality, but it was fun to watch just the beginning of the show because I was like, oh, this I remember now. This is why I like them. They just put on a good show. And I really think the singer kind of had a lot of like swagger in in, in like a good way and, and kind of confidence. And it really... Mm-hmm. I, We'll talk about it in a minute. I really think it comes across in this album, but definitely this is a band that you can tell has played live a lot, feels confident about what they're doing. It really showed. And so, yeah, I had a great memory of seeing them live, and that definitely made me love this album even more. Yeah, so I have a little bit of memories about this as well. I never saw Supertones live, sadly, but uh, I remember driving around with my friends. I remember listening to this album. We would all like, especially to Never Want to Fall, we would all headbang to it, but we were really clever. So we didn't headbang to the same tempo. We would headbang to three different tempos, obviously, you know, with one of us doing like 
twice the speed, one of us doing the speed, one of us doing half the speed of, of the tempo of the song. And I remember that my friend who drove at the time was liked to be the person who went twice the speed of, of the song. And I often wondered if we were going to die in a car crash <laughs> while doing that. <laughs> and I do remember, you know, that this kind of silly music called ska around that time definitely brought out the silly side of already silly teenagers. And it, it definitely added to our lives. It was a, a lot of fun for us. Well, let's jump into the album here. First song, Adonai. Tell us about it, Jay. So I had forgotten this until I listened to it, but the kind of metal sounding intro. Which is kind of fun. You know, I I don't know if that is just reflective of um, maybe the the Christian scene they were in, because some of them were in kind of Christian hardcore metal bands Mm -hmm. before this. They probably played with bands like that. It's kind of a fun way to start. And again, in the video I watched from 96, they started with that song and they started with the riffs and everything. And it was kind of fun. You know, this is, it's interesting in this song. I felt like this was maybe one of the songs they had for sure done live. This was not like a new song they wrote in the studio or anything like that. Because he, again, Matt, the singer, has a lot of confidence. There's kind of a breakdown in the song here where you can tell he's just jumping around on the stage. <laughs> I feel like it's a, it was a good song to start the album with. Yeah, what are some of your thoughts about the music before we do the lyrics on this one? As we said, you know, Matt really brings energy. And I think he's doing something very interesting here with his vocals, which I, I listened, I even listened around to some other ska bands to see if I could find anyone else do anything like this as far as vocals go, which is just kind of this more like spitting, kind of rapping hip hop type vocals. Please allow me to proceed to puff my flow on the underground scene at the underground show. And I really couldn't find it. So, I, th- I, you know, I think that may be an original contribution of the Supertones to Ska. And it really works well, honestly. It really has a way of working in contrast to that offbeat of the guitar. And it has a, a way of bringing that energy really well. He has really great rhythm, I'll say that. He brings that that energy the entire time. And, I, and that's a lot of, I think, what makes this album successful, and especially this song. As I was listening to this song, I was going through uh, the packaging. There's only a trumpet and a saxophone on this album, even though pictures of them at the time show pictures of trombones and even multiple saxophones. But I guess the, the core members of the Supertones here were, were only a, a saxophone and trumpet. On first listen to this album, especially this song, the horns feel powerful and fun. But on multiple listens, the two horns are always doing the exact same thing together. They're never... And maybe that's the limit of only having two horns. There's never a time when the horns are d- doing different things. They're always just playing together, which is a, which is how you get a powerful sound is to have a bunch of things play together. They, they limited themselves, I think, musically in how to flesh out this album by, by doing that. They're not very complicated horn parts. No. I went back and listened to that first Insiders album, just a couple songs as I was mm-hmm. listening to this. The Insiders, much more complicated horn parts. But again, they're kind of a new band when they put this out. Well, so were the insiders, honestly. They they still brought some more complexity. Those guys are a little bit older than these guys, or at least older than Matt. You know, Matt's the youngest one here at 20 when this album came out, whereas the other guys were, I think, around 23 to 24. And the guys in the insiders were a couple years older than that. But these guys have been playing together for five years, so I don't know there's a lot of excuses for not having more complex songwriting other than things I'll talk about later. Well, a couple things that made me laugh. I think everybody does this, but I never really like read the lyrics that much, especially on an album like this, because it's pretty easy to understand what they're saying. But there were definitely a couple lines that I had wrong in my head. (laughs) Um, Nice. Like the second line of this, he says, but I can bust some ska. In fact, the rhythm rhyme is cooking. And for some reason, I thought he said, I can bust some ska like you're something mother's cooking. (laughs) The lyrics on this is pretty interesting, and I feel like, honestly, if I had to boil down this whole album with the themes and ideas and lyrics and everything to one song, it would probably be this one. Because he pulls out some ska stuff, like he says the word ska. I feel like ska bands are the only band that, like, talk about their genre in the song. Like, an emo band would never say emo in the lyrics. Emo! Emo! Yeah. (laughs) But Scott Vance, like, do it all the time. So he does that. He mentions being a rude boy. He talks about the underground scene and all that. Mm -hmm. But then also, he says Adonai, like the Hebrew word for God, which is a very, and I want to talk about this, this, you see this in in other songs on this, but that's a very kind of, like, evangelical trope at the time, is kind of using Hebrew words. Um, And he says Yeshua later in the song. He also, you're right, it kind of has a rap sense 
you know, you're my God, I will bow. I'll show all the proud people how. Gotta give the glory up, up, up. He says, I ain't no Al Pacino and I ain't no Al Capone, which made me laugh now looking back because I'm like, okay, Al Pacino is an actor. Al Capone is a gangster. I know I know what he's doing because I know Al Pacino is playing some of those movies, but it kind of just more seemed like something to fill space. <laughs> well, the line before that is, I don't want to be the bad. I don't want to be a gangster. I don't want to be the baddest or something like that. Right, right. So I think he's just mirroring that with the, with the two owls there. It's a good song to start the album with. It really kind of shows you everything the Supertone are about. It's also one of the, if you just look at the lyric sheet, one of the longest with the lyrics. Some of their songs, I did not realize till looking at them now, they just repeat the same thing over and over. And they're actually, the lyrics are super short. Yeah, there's a lot of simple lyrics on this album. So first off, this song has a video. It's the only one with a video on this album. And it's one of those, here's the guys and they're acting silly kind of videos that cruise around in a older car that was probably bought because it looked cool enough because it was practical. It's This is the only song on this album that's in Spotify's top 10 songs for the band. And it makes a lot of sense. It's a real fun song, has lots of energy. Uh, it's a really good opener for the for the album. There's there's a line that says, make my heart beat all fast like the girl from Plain Jane. I don't know what that is. I couldn't find any. Plain Jane a band at the time, maybe? So there there's a band called Plain Jane that is a 1980s metal band, it looks like. But it's all guys. Probably. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah, there's TV shows after this that are called Plain Jane, but not before it. There's a 1922 play called Plain Jane that's not well known. <laughs> so I, there are songs by Bob Dylan and Sammy Hagar played called Plain Jane, but I don't, I don't know what he's talking about here. Okay. There's another absurd line here that says, "Grown-up kids and in-betweens, I guess it takes all kinds, cause I guess we got true love. My blood, my blood, true love is blind." <laughs> what What does my blood have to do in there? I don't know. I don't know. So when you break it down slow like that, it sounds absurd. But when he's saying it fast, you're like, yeah, yeah it's great. <laughs> All of this. If you don't, if you don't care what the lyrics are actually saying, this is really fun. Right. Right. Yeah. Now there are, there are some lyrics here. I think that really resonated with me at the time. I don't care about your hair. Can't, can't we all just get along? Not just get along, but really love and care. If your eyes are on the Lord, you can't see nobody's hair. Was that an important line in your, in, in your kind of circle? I mean, no other than just like being a teenager and caring about how you looked. For me and my friends, this was a bigger deal, I think. And especially with that, I think the weight that the Supertones carried because they were kind of, you know, youth group approved. And even looking at comments today, like if you go look at the video for this song, people comment on that line a lot. I think it's important for people. They they take hair kind of to mean, you know, like the slight differences between us that are generational cultural, but don't really mean anything in the grand scheme. At least for me, having grown up in a conservative evangelical church, I knew all too well, you know, that adults at the time would sometimes take these differences as no different than the most offensive sins against the church and God. You know, walk into a Sunday service with something less than or really even other than the approved clothing, and you've offended God and disrespected the entire church. And I I think that for that reason, this kind of like, just let me be me. Don't try to force me to be you kind of held some weight among a lot of people. And I think that was very important for, for those people. I mean, that does go with kind of a memory I have at the time of not just this, but probably like all those tooth and nail releases and even looking through the catalog or when you watch the old tooth and nail compilation videos and the stuff well both of the bands but the stuff in between and even this music video of being like a kid yeah in conservative evangelical texas and seeing these kids for instance in california or wherever and being like oh my god look how they look and they're christians this is amazing i mean that's kind of when i went to cornerstone that summer kind of blew my mind too of just like being surrounded by thousands of people that dress kind of cool or alternative or whatever you wanted to call it at the time and like oh my god this is okay this is awesome some of the have tattoos which was like that was like (laughs) tattoos are so accepted now but that was like to me at least a really edgy thing at the time i mean it was like get get disowned by your parents kind of edgy at the time right you know you're right with with that line i think that definitely reflected a lot of the ways that we at least wanted people to feel and the frustrations that i would have with my parents sometimes or people in the church of just like what does looking christian even mean for instance mm-hmm. why does one thing better than the other i remember having all kinds of arguments about dressing up for church for church <laughs> me, and stuff me too definitely <laughs> 
<laughs> so, yeah, I'm glad you highlighted that because I didn't give it much thought at the time. But you're right. Yeah. That really kind of ties in with a lot of the feelings back then. I think to a certain extent, that's a battle that our generation has won. Yeah. And maybe maybe I feel that way because I'm in Austin and nobody here gives gives a fuck what you look like, you know? But I feel like we largely won that battle. I'm interested to see as a few more years go by what our generation holds against, you know, their kids. Mm. Good point. <laughs> I do want to mention this, I don't know, I think that you also brought up, you know, this this use of Hebrew and a little bit of Greek throughout the album. This album was really huge and really popular with all the male people I knew at the time that by 16 already knew that they were going to be pastors or let me say already knew that they were called by the lord to be pastors at 16 years old because they were heavy into theology and greek and hebrew and things like that even at that age it's kind of weird there was definitely like a snobbery around that like oh well i i know the hebrew word for this or i know the greek word for this and Mm -hmm. the real meaning behind it as if you couldn't fully read your bible or understand god if you didn't or at least that's the way it came across in some of the churches and circles that i was in that that people had those ideas I don't want to go on a rabbit trail too much, but that is a thought I've had with this is this is a band that I think wants to be evangelical in the sense of like trying to bring people to God and and Mm -hmm. preach the gospel. But from everything I read and just knowing the culture at the time, I think they mostly played to Christian audiences. Mm -hmm. And we probably should talk about this more with other bands, too. This was kind of a common thing, like we're a band for ministry, but they really only play to Christian. Yeah audiences or at churches. So they're sure there might be some unsaved person that came, but who is your real target? Let's move on to who can be against me. This one is just really catchy. This to me seems like kind of like a single though from the album. It's just catchy. It's clear. It's fun. It's very much almost punk sounding. Yeah. The guitars really drive this song forward. It's got the walking bass line. The only thing that kind of re-listening to it stuck out to me is... (laughs) The lyrics are a little strange because the verses are all about, I'm messing up, I can't get anything right, I'm struggling, I'm doubting. But then the chorus is like, who can be against me? <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know, it felt a bit mixed. Like, it's like, dude, no one's against you, you're against yourself, man. Just kind of get it together. So I didn't, I'd be curious how this song was written. But I do remember this one very clearly as one I listened to a lot, sang a lot, and enjoyed. Yes, me too. At the time, I really enjoyed it. I think there really is kind of a culture of maybe nurturing a persecution complex in evangelical Christianity in, in the United States. You can kind of say that here because, yeah, who can be against me? I don't, I don't know. Why are people against you? Do you? Is there someone against you? Right. But at the time, I, it, was, it was just a, it was a fun, nice song to scream along to, you know. It's one of the more musically fun songs in the album. You know, there's a big punk influence in it. I, and I didn't realize how much of a punk influence Supertones had at the time. Because I always remember thinking of Five Iron Frenzy had the punk influence. Insiders kind of had a little bit of more of hardcore influence, and Supertones were more just kind of like a general kind of a rock influence. But it does have a punk influence, and I think that may just be brought by the guitarist. Maybe a little bit where that metal stuff comes from, too. I think those kind of influences are just coming from him, because since he's playing guitar, he kind of has the freedom to kind of bring those influences in, in through the way he plays or the, or, the, or the effects he uses, you know? I'll get into this more later, but I don't think there was a lot of time analyzing what the songs were going to sound like. There was a lot of energy in this album, is the only way to say it. And I I remember I never liked Five Iron Frenzy or The Insiders and the other ones as much as I liked this version of the Supertones. I felt like after Mm -hmm. that, honestly, they got better musically. after this, but I just didn't like the sound of their albums as much as I liked this one, because this just had so much energy. It was fast-paced. That's what I really enjoyed about it. And it kind of led me, I think the ska bands ended up liking more after that work groups like the Boston's or something that had a lot of that too. Yeah, and you know, there's there's a fun little part in this out on, on this, you know, where the guitar drops out, but then the the drummer comes in with a cymbal on the off beats instead of the guitar, which is which had had a nice effect. There's a uh, saxophone solo in this song. Mm-hmm. 
which is a little bit fun. Although after the saxophone solo, which is about halfway through the song, the horns just disappear until the end of the song, which really bothered me because they do a lot in the song to kind of build up tension and build up the energy of the song towards the end. And they don't use the horns to do it. They just use guitar and, and distortion. And I'm like, well, guys, you have a horn section available to you. Use it to build the tension and the energy of the song. I mean, you can hear a lot of the way through this album that it was still early as a band as far as Mm -hmm. having horns being a ska band because the horns kind of just and a lot of ska bands do this, especially kind of ska punk bands, just kind of more of like almost like a punk song bass and they just throw in horns at occasional parts and hey, we have a ska band. I do want to mention Unknown here real fast, only to say that there's a fun part in the second verse, kind of going into the, into the bridge. There's horns playing, and if you turn it up really loud, you can hear someone singing along with the horns as backing vocals. And it's one of the more interesting things that happens in this album. It's kind of it's kind of fun. Hmm. But let's let's move on to Never Want to Fall. This is, I, this is the song that I wanted to talk about. I don't, want to, I don't have a lot to say about it. I just remember this is the song that was on Seltzer, and this is a song that we definitely headbanged to, me and my friends, in the car the most, you know? <laughs> because it's it's just a fun song that moves quickly and has good energy to it. Yeah, it's another one of those that's actually very short when you pull up the lyrics. you And you realize, yes. oh, actually, they're just repeating the same thing over and like the same verse over and over. Mm-hmm. The thing that, that gets me, and I've been really interesting because I'm starting to see this as a theme already through some of the other albums we've done, is he says, I know that old life. I loved my booze. Then God <laughs> said, boy, you got to choose. And so a couple all kinds of things this makes me think of one is like alcohol was viewed as such a sin back then on so many of the albums that we listened to and and in that church life back then and this is a good example of some uh, another area where i think younger people won Mm -hmm. and i'm not really in the church scene now but i do still see stuff of like craft beer night with groups at church and stuff and other (laughs) things i mean obviously not youth groups so i think that is kind of another area that people just don't feel as strongly about Yes. I remember like as late as like 2006, my dad told me that he was getting together with some friends from church to have a beer. And that was like, that's a big deal because he was, he was a deacon at the time. And that was really seen as flying in the face of the church's teachings to have a beer. Oh, yeah. That would have like 10 years before that would have blown your mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think this is more in the conservative evangelical side. Like, I don't think that Methodists were, you know, were having these conversations the way that Baptists were, for example. But drinking at all was seen as a huge thing. I will say that these guys being kids, drinking to excess as a not fully developed brain person, because your brain continues to develop until, you know, about 20 to 22, is bad. Don't do it, kids. (laughs) You want your brain to work later, believe me. That's true. Your brain doesn't work as well later on anyway, so you want it to work as, as good as it can. One other thing that came up from those same lines, and I found this in an article I sent to you that's more recent when the singer is talking about the origins of the band. I'll just quote part of the article. This is the author of the article who said this. He said, growing up with atheist parents, he, meaning Matt, was into punk, doing drugs and failing at school, taking the whole rock and rebellion thing seriously. But when he was 14, 14. one of his punk friends invited him to play bass at a Catholic church. And through that experience, he kind of became a Christian. And like Clifton, like you said, he's like 20, probably when this came out. He probably was like 19 when they recorded it. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's young when they record this. And so to me, it just it kind of made me laugh. I was like, okay, you're in like practically probably in middle school, maybe starting high school. Maybe he did have a huge drinking problem. I don't know. Maybe it was really bad. But to me, this gets to the tendency that we had in Christianity as well to kind of always have your testimony. And it, for it to be dramatic. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm getting, getting at. And I felt like there was this underlying pressure to make it sound like you were really bad before you became a Christian and God really saved you. And for so many people that grew up in evangelical church environment, you just didn't have that. You don't have these amazing stories of like being hooked on drugs and everything. And then having this like, and actually in a later song on here, they talk about Paul on the road to Damascus. And I feel like that's Mm -hmm. what everyone is looking for is that magical road to Damascus moment, crazy conversion, when in reality, for most people, it wasn't that way. And I don't know, I don't know his whole story, maybe it was really bad. But I do think there was a pressure to make it sound worse than it was. How many of the drugs did you do in seventh grade? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe this guy did your drugs, but I have I'm sneaking suspicion that it was like he smoked pot a couple times and had a few beers from somebody's dad's cooler. 
Well, I mean, they're no, they're in Orange County. Believe me, there is a party culture available in Orange County at this time. I'm sure still to today. It's a bunch of upper middle class white people right. th- that have nothing better to do. So I'm sure, I, I absolutely am sure that there was a party culture to be involved in. I just don't know how much trouble 14 year olds can get into or I, for, you know, he was saved at 14. So like as a 12 year old was like, how many injections did he do by 12? You know, I, I don't know. Right. Right. But another thing I want to highlight here is that I think this really sets, and, and, and it's true throughout evangelical Christianity, is it sets a false dichotomy of you're either a, you know, lost to hell and, and the party scene sinner, or you're a Christian. It never occurs to anybody that you can just be a person that does good things or doesn't do all the drugs and all the drinking and all the sex. Yeah, it was very clear cut by the people's actions. You're either in, in the in crowd or in the out crowd. I don't think it's even that simple because I've been told more recently, as recently as a couple of years ago, that non-Christians aren't capable of doing good. Oh. And I don't mean like good things. I mean, they're not capable of not being bad people. The, if you're a good person, it's only because you've heard of Christianity. That gets to something that has really bothered me for a long time is that whole idea of original sin. And yeah, and just being your identity as a sinner, person who's always going to choose on their own the wrong thing versus somebody who might actually choose the right thing a lot of times and wanting to do good. And that's your nature. And that view, man, that influences almost everything. Um, yes. in this whole subculture. There's people of other religions who believe the same thing and also do good things. Yeah. <laughs> so what about any, but we'll, we'll move on. Okay. <laughs> I do want to stop on roots here for a second, just to say that this is as close to original ska as you're going to hear from the supertones on this album. True. They do a little bit more in the next album, but it really sounds like though is a less talented attempt to sound like the Israelites. And I think I skipped this song, this and one of the other later ones that were slow. I was like, man, this is, I, don't, I like the supertones because they're fast and they're full of energy. Yeah. I do want to point out, though, that he says Jehovah Nisi, um, another Hebrew thing thrown in there. And this one is more kind of seems like straight scripture, too. Like he says, I have no other gods. There are no other gods. Um Again, I guess I'm thinking like how many normal people is this really an issue in their life? Like, are there, is there more than one God? Are there many God? I don't think most people are thinking about that. But remember, there's also the evangelical Christian idea that football is a God and you're right. Getting good grades is a God and things like that, you know? True. Maybe that's what he's talking about. My only notes for heaven were Z's. <laughs> Let's move on here to he will always be there. I liked heaven just because it was, it was catchy and upbeat, but I loved he will always be there. I thought the beginning actually was kind of strong for a ska song, like the way it starts with the horn line and the, and the walking bass. Hey! The thing that did strike me as being different in the song, and I didn't realize until I was really re-listening, is that the upbeat guitars the whole way through are distorted. Like a lot of these songs, they play them clean during the verses and stuff, but it's like distorted the whole way through, even with the upbeats, which is interesting. I guess it gives it more energy. It's definitely not kind of traditional sounding way to do it. I had another lyric mess up in this. <laughs> <laughs> in the real lyrics, it said, he told me he's his... I didn't know who God was until he told me he's my dad. And I could have sworn he said, I didn't know who God was until he told me he's not dead. <laughs> Which which makes a lot more sense, because I have a dad. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how I always thought of it. This song, though, is a very personal relationship view of God. God is there to help me. God is there to make me better. I liked it at the time. I remember it being very energetic and fun. And that chorus yeah. is one you can always sing along to. What did you think? I agree. You know, I really liked the song at the time and it was fun still to listen to. When I went back to the lyrics, I was kind of getting tired of some of the folk humility yeah. in this album. Who am I to you notice me thing? You know, well, according to Christian theology, you're someone this guy created. So I don't know. I, I when I was going through the lyrics, I was really annoyed by this point in the album. A lot of my notes here on the lyrics are kind of mean. <laughs> That's been my biggest contrast on this album. Is I, I'll be honest, I still kind of like the music on a lot of songs. And I'm just like, yeah, you know, but then when I focus on the lyrics, I'm like, <laughs> kind of cringing. Um, and I even played it for my wife, who definitely had never heard this before. And she was like, yeah, it's catchy. Even someone had no exposure to it, I think, thought good, catchy stuff. But the lyrics. Exactly. Yeah. Rough. 
if we go to the next song, Exalt, I'll just say all my notes say is traditional sounding song that I usually skipped. <laughs> <laughs> my first note for this uh, song is, oh, I got distracted looking at the wall and didn't realize the song had changed. <laughs> all right, let's talk about Found. So this was the first song I heard by them. This is the one on that Art Core compilation. And so yeah. clearly it's an earlier song they wrote just because of that. Also, I think it gives it away in the sound of it. He says ska a lot. I don't know if this was an original song they hadn't saved that was their ska song, so that's why he feels the need to say it so much. The lyrics are super simple. It's talking about Paul's transformation on the road to Damascus. I did like the Back to the Future clip at the beginning of the song. (laughs) I thought that was a fun way to introduce it. Yeah, I wrote down the lyrics here. Preach the gospel, reach your heart, and ska, 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 ska. And then I have a lot of notes here about... Grr, guitars and oh repeat again oh repeat again because it repeats the lyrics over and over again yep. but it's fine it's a fun song you know <laughs> yeah that's the thing about this they could get away with a lot of that because there's just so much upbeat energy on this yeah, but i agree i think this was probably one of their er- very early ska songs all right let's talk about the song where they sing about themselves the oc supertones i as a teenager in texas always kind of thought california seemed cool right i mean that's where <laughs> hollywood is yeah. That's where a lot of the bands came from. Just All the culture like skate- we knew about. Yeah, skateboarding culture. Just so many things that I thought was cool at the time was from there. And so I had no idea what Orange County was. Me either. But listening to this, I thought it must have been like the coolest place <laughs> ever. And it, so it was funny as an adult realizing like, oh, it's just suburbia. <laughs> Rich suburbia. <laughs> right. Because this is before even that show, The O.C. and stuff. We you didn't know. know that yet. It cracks me up thinking back on how cool I thought this must have been. And now I'm like, oh, it was just a bunch of like suburban teenagers probably playing shows in churches. Yep. Which is fine. Like everybody needs. I probably would have loved that That's at great. the time. Yeah. But it's just, it's pretty funny. This is a song that seems like they are talking about themselves. They're also mentioning a lot of ska references, almost to like maybe prove how they're part of the scene. (laughs) Midget punching. Yes. I did write Um, that. I I laughed at that. So I was like, oh, I forgot about midget punching. (laughs) Rude boy, they mentioned. He mentions monkey boots, which I had to just look up to make sure I understood. That's the sense I got. It's a fun song. I like how they kind of spoof the MXPX line in it as well. We ain't got no place to go. Let's go to the Rude Boy show. And it goes downhill from after that. Yeah. Because you know they're going to play it real rude. Going <laughs> to cop some of this Rude Boy attitude. Right. Yeah, they probably should have stopped. Um <laughs> It was fun. I don't know. Any other thoughts on that one for you? Yeah, I mean, it's a fun song. There's a rap in it, which is fun. Uh, supposedly some guy named Matt Roberts uh, sang that rap with other Matt. I tried to find out who Matt Roberts was, but I only found like a Three Doors Down guy who died in 2006 from drunk driving. Don't think that was it. And a Matt Roberts who started the Storm Area 51 movement last year. I don't think it's that mm, guy. Ho- hopefully not. Yeah, hopefully not. I don't know. So I don't know who it was. I wrote down some of the lyrics that were kind of fun. Father, son, spirit. Hear it, near it, fear it, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. (laughs) Oh, that's another thing I want to say about this song. This is a song that I also feel like clearly has been played live. Yes. Because it just, it has a lot of energy. He's got a lot of confidence. And it's kind of, again, got that almost breakdown where you can just feel people are probably jumping up and down when he's singing this. Yeah. That is a real pro and a real positive on this album. There are certainly songs that you can tell they have field tested them. Yes out in a concert and work really well. And the chorus is kind of this like smooth kind of smug. That's just life. Southern California. That's just life in Orange County, California. The problem is that what is (laughs) he's not referencing anything. Yeah. So (laughs) I don't know. Anyway. All right. All right. So what do you think about this album overall? You know what? Again, I was saying this earlier. I, I have mixed feelings because honestly, I still like it. It's still catchy. Yeah. This was not hard to listen to. There's been a few of these albums so far that it's been, I'll be honest, I'm kind of like, oh, I need to listen to that for the podcast. And it's it's a little rough. This one is not, it's easy to listen to. And it's fun. No, I had fun. But lyrically, that was a little bit of a challenge and just more kind of yeah. me shaking my head. I literally stopped last night and talked to my wife about this. I felt like I was being too mean in my wrap up for this album, which I'll get to in here in a second. And I didn't want to be mean because I love this album and it was so much fun and it's still fun. Yeah. But let's talk about some stuff here. Yeah. <laughs> so this album peaks almost immediately, which isn't to say that Adonai is the best song on the album, although maybe it is. It's just that nothing ever tops it. 
And the first four songs are pretty solid, but after that, there's a lot of filler. What feels to me like kind of rushed songs, songwriting to have a full set. And even then, a lot of the songs kind of do the same thing, which is kind of bring the song to a faux close and then bring it back. and stronger and faster, you know, with the chorus again or something like that. The first time through, it was a lot of fun, but on repeated listens, it was just, I've got this emptier and emptier feeling listening to the album. Kind of musically, it's just not interesting. As we've talked about already, the music is very simple. It's very face value. As you get more listens into it, it kind of falls apart. I'm a bad songwriter, so I recognize my own kind. And if these guys are playing a G, everyone's playing a G. Nobody's playing a harmonic. Nobody's playing a contrasting note. If there's more than one one person singing, they're singing the same thing. They're not harmonizing. Other than being ska, this album never takes a risk. It never sticks its neck out. And for that, in the end, it's a bit of fun, but it's a lot of hollow. It's entirely inoffensive. Like we said, it's easily youth group approved. And with all that said, it's a fun album. It's got really energetic vocals. It's got decently catchy music. The horns keep things moving in it. And I loved it at the time. And and, and I, I still find it fun today to listen to. I did use the same word. I said it's inoffensive. It's fun to listen to, but it's not going to challenge you to think in a new way about anything. Right. And I, I want to dig into that a little bit deeper, looking kind of with it overall at the, at the lyrics here. I want to bring in this quote from an article, which we'll put in the show notes here, that was written in the LA Times about these guys. And they say here, talking about doing crossover into the mainstream, they say, if such a crossover occurs, the three founders say it will not be because the supertones have toned down their message or couched it in symbolic or oblique terms as the Christian alternative band Jars of Clay did on its on its breakthrough hit, Flood. I don't know if the guy writing this article is an asshole or if the supertones are assholes, but somebody's an asshole and it pissed me off. Say what you will about Jars of Clay, but their lyrics are thoughtful and well-written. And from the band that wrote, Well, I'm ugly as sin, that is to say I'm not good-looking, but I can bust some scone, in fact my rhythm rhyme is cooking, or... Well, I don't claim to be a rhyming apparatus. I don't want to be a gangster. I don't want to be the baddest. I ain't no Al Pacino and I ain't no Al Capone. I'm just a rude boy with a new toy. Add two speakers and a microphone, which is a Beck ripoff. Or skink it to the beat. Hey, we're the Supertones. Skink to the beat. But the song. I don't think you should throw stones about lyrics. <laughs> to ridicule another artist because their lyrics aren't screaming how much you need Jesus all the time, I think is ridiculous and absurd and prideful. And in the end, there's no art in these lyrics. There's nothing slightly introspective or encourages thought. And I don't just mean that they're bad. I mean, they're entirely devoid of imagination or feeling or anything that hints at an inner life. They left nothing on the table because they didn't bring anything to the table with these lyrics, except maybe, hey, what well, sounds like a praise song, but not one I've heard before. Oh, oops, I'm starting to sing about the Supertones again. And the only reason these songs aren't praise songs being sung in youth groups is because they don't even reach the low, low bar of, of being sung as those. <laughs> How do you really feel, Clifton? <laughs> and that's kind of true of the overall album, is that there's an artlessness to this album. It's fun. It's exciting. But there's an artlessness to the, uh, this album. And I think you can see it in the fact that as Saved, they played together for five years and never had a style. Yeah. And I think you can see it in the packaging, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. And I think you can see it in their logo. And I think you can see it all over the places that these guys don't have anything to say. They don't bring anything of themselves to their music. And I'm sorry, because I love this album. <laughs> Well, let's like, okay, let's talk about <laughs> packaging and yeah. the artwork. I mean, I'll be honest, when I look at the artwork, I'm thinking, how did DC Comics not have an issue with this? <laughs> like, yes. it's called the Supertones. Yep. Fine, they're not using the ripoff logo anymore that's in the Tooth and Nail catalog, but you have a guy who clearly is Superman. I mean, drawn, He's flying. you know, yeah, flying cape. above buildings within, mm-hmm. doesn't he have an S on his chest in yes. the thing? Yeah, so I'm curious how they didn't get in trouble for this. Yeah, me too. That said, it's a very distinctive al- album cover. Yeah. And it, and it grabs you, like, from far away. And he's smiling, and it's fun, and it kind of goes yeah. with what you see on the inside. There's just a bunch of fun pictures, some of them playing live. I do like the ones in front of a bigger audience, which I think part of this may have been when they opened for MXPX, they said, and that's kind of how they got okay. signed, because he said there were like a thousand people at that show. Yeah, I was wondering how they got that big a crowd. But again, they're, they're a band that seems to do very well in front of big crowds. 
I mean, that is one thing I yeah. think is a strong point of this album is there is a lot of confidence and it seems to work. The packaging is nothing. No, it's fine. The lyrics are included. It's pictures of the band. Yeah, it's nothing amazing, but it's it's not terrible. This is kind of the artlessness brought to this album, you know, is that they're like, oh, we need stuff for an, for packaging pictures of us. Yeah. And, you know, even then it's fun. There's a picture of Scott Saletta from Plank Eye with these guys. Or actually, a couple pictures of, the, of him in there. They think the Israelites, like almost every band member thinks the Israelites in MXPX. I don't know what connection they have to the Israelites. The Israelites is, is a ska band that's around this time, but they're doing like original first wave ska. I think they were from that same area. Um, the layout is done by BEC Graphics, which we know now, which we know now stands for Brandon Evil Company. Yep. Nice little bit of self-dealing there. Nice, Brandon. Good way to get the cash. I'm talking about their logo for a second. I didn't know that this was a new logo for them, which is interesting. I guess that, that was the logo you said that was a cornerstone. Well, and it's on the Tooth and Nail catalog Okay, from the fall of 95. Okay, we'll put a link to that in the show notes so you can look at it. Um, but it basically, that logo has the literal Superman S and as as the S in Supertones. And other than that, it's just like a, it's like a word art Supertones that kind of like fades away from you. The logo here, which is featured prominently on the front cover, is quintessential two-tone ska logo. It's got checkered borders. It's just black and white. It has their name kind of written in this big, loud, fun, you know, kind of quirky font. And it changes from, you know, black to white to white to black. It, it reminds you of a lot of that second, second wave ska logos. But once again, it's kind of like, it's kind of the artlessness of the band where they didn't bring anything original to this. Yeah. Do you have an award for these guys? Yeah, and I don't even know if this is the right way to put it, but I'm going to call this the 1990s Evangelicalism 101 Award, because I feel like this album really encapsulates so much of that belief system and so many things that were happening. Like Of everything we've listened to so far, and honestly, of any of the ones in our list that I at least have a memory of, this one is this is the evangelical belief system. Like You could just hand it to somebody. Um, But you wouldn't understand it if you weren't raised in the church. You're right. This would probably be real weird if you didn't have this language to use already, to to speak. And so, that gets to a point I've made earlier and I think we'll see in a lot of these albums is a lot of these bands I know would like preach from the stage and want to be outreach bands but their audience was pretty much solely Christians Mm -hmm. it's it's something to think and talk more about later and the language they use sounds real culty if you're not already right a Christian exactly like I don't think most people are going to be like oh yeah like washed by the blood okay I get it now right (laughs) okay Right. Yeah. Yeah, we got it. All right, Jay, what are we listening to on the next episode? We're kind of sticking with the 25th anniversary theme, and we're going to listen to Newsboys Take Me to Your Leader from 1996. Okay. You really, you liked these, right? I, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Just want to make sure. I, I did love this album when it came out. We'll see if See if this one held up. I... Got my own yeah. thoughts, but I'm going to keep them quiet till we do the <laughs> episode. All right. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for another episode of Your Music Saved Us. If you enjoyed your time with us, please leave us a review or share this episode on the social media of your choice, where you can probably follow us at Your Music Saved Us. Or email us at yourmusicsavedus at gmail.com. The music in this episode is the work of the OC Supertones and is used with apologies, not permission. Their music is still for sale through normal channels, so go buy it. Thank you. Yeah.